companies who decide to do this themselves is they need to do the due diligence and look at the best-in-class connected worker solutions and they need to make a choice whether they can spend the, the make or buy. Uh, and often, to get the best-in-class, you have to buy. You're listening to Zapchat and I'm Richard Milnes. I'm a CEO and founder at Zaptic. So today I'm speaking to Tom Hughes. He is an IWS expert. He has spent the last 30 years of his career in manufacturing, working for companies like P&G, Gillette, Duracell. I think the world needs to hear from Tom because he is somebody who's lived through a period of, of complete manufacturing change, you know, starting up from where he was in a very manual process that's slowly become more automated, you know, being part of the P&G IWS journey for so long and then becoming an advocate for it. You know, I think he's got a lot to say about the past, the present and the future. Tom, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I am sat here today with Tom Hughes. Um, and I would love to hear from you, Tom, a little bit about your background, where you started and where you are today. Yeah. Hi, hi Richard. This is... Uh really quite exciting to, to, to go through this process. So thank you for the invite. Uh, where do I start? So 42 years in manufacturing. That sounds a lot. Many different careers and many different companies. Uh, started from very humble beginnings in the pharma industry back in 1979. That sort of shows my age. <laughs> and uh, went through very various different forms of companies, whether it be pharma, food, um, and then found myself in 2005 part of a, a buyout uh, for Procter & Gamble. And that, at that point, I learned the Procter & Gamble uh, integrated work system, which I'll talk about in a second. So, I'd love to hear more about your time that you spent you know, in China with Duracell and the projects that you worked on and you know, a little bit more about um, what you achieved while you were there. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, it's a good conversation. So it, it goes back when I joined Duracell in uh, 2003, I was working in Wrexham, uh, and that was uh, making hearing aid batteries. And at that time, we were a, a fully lean integrated uh, Six Sigma site. So I had work cells, I had value stream mapping standard work, I had full-time lean manager, you know, everything you would expect from an operational excellence system. And then in 2005, when I was running that factory, P&G bought Gillette, the Gillette company of which Duracell was a part of, for $56 billion. Wow. At the time, it was one of the biggest purchases in CPG, Consumer Products Group, uh, globally. And they said, hey, Tom, you know, you're a plant manager here running this factory in Wrexham. We actually have a site in Manchester. Why don't you go over and see what those guys are up to and, you know, start sharing some of your lean stuff. And we're going to introduce you to this thing called IWS. So... Um, I went over to the Manchester site and saw equipment that was far more complicated than mine and running doubly efficiency. So I thought, oh, I need to learn something here. So this, this developed over the next 12 months. And then as I went through and uh, you know, absorbed IWS, the, I had the great opportunity of moving to Duracell China. Um, this was in 2006, Christmas. I went out there and learned Chinese, so I'll speak a little bit of Chinese, not quite sure, EDM Jongwen. So, and uh, at that time, we were buddied up with the Huangpu factory in China, which was 
one of the top 10 most advanced manufacturing facilities in the world, not just in P&G, but outside of any CPG company. So now here we go, you know, from Wrexham, small factory, 200 people, working in a factory of 700 people, making a billion batteries a year. And I have one of the best factories in the world, 25 kilometers away from me that I can learn from about the integrated work system. So, you know, to, 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 to really give you a little bit of depth about IWS, it might be worth me explain a little bit about Procter & Gamble too, I think. Would, would that be helpful? Please do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with Procter & Gamble is when I joined them, you become, you know, a, a P&G and, and you, you learn to love the company because they have some fundamental uh, purpose, uh, vision and principles that they follow. And it doesn't matter if you're in marketing, you're in sales, if you're in, you know, manufacturing, we all follow the same principles. And, and it starts with people first. The people are always put, at the front of everything we do. Um, and Pinge is a huge company. I mean, it has uh, operations in 80 company, you know, markets around the world. It has uh, over $80 billion of sales every year, and it has over 100,000 employees. So this is one of the biggest CPG companies uh, globally, and they make many brands that you know are Pampers, Pantene, Head & Shoulders, Gillette blade and razors, you know, it goes on and on and on. So many of them are household brands and brand leaders. So in this company, which was founded in 1837, they really have put people at the front of everything they do. In fact, one of our CEOs, it's a very famous one I use in leadership training, is uh, Richard Dupree. He was the chief executive officer in 1947, and his quote says, Take away my factories, take away my brands, and leave me my people, and I will rebuild this company in 20 years. So, you know, people has always been at the front of everything that P&G has done. And they've also been recognized by Gartner as masters of the supply chain. Uh, and what that means is that they were winning the most effective, productive supply chain award so many times, they created a new award called Masters so that they wouldn't win it all the time. So now I think there's <laughs> Apple... Uh, Procter & Gamble and maybe one other company who was in that category. So here we go. You know, I joined from this Lean Six Sigma company who was leading edge in Lean at the time and cellular manufacturing. And I go into Procter & Gamble and I find a company and factories that are running much better than mine. So I had to learn and I had to be humble and I had to really figure out how I could take the P&G operational excellence system into my factories uh, in Duracell. And that's what I did. So that's a little bit about PNG. I'd love to, love to understand, you know, what is IWS and where did it come from? And before IWS, what were you using? Yeah, so before IWS, I was using classic Lean Six Sigma. You know, you name a tool in the toolbox of Lean and Six Sigma, you know, we were using it in Duracell, whether it be spaghetti diagrams, whether it be, you know, standard work, 5S, all this, you know, the standard stuff that you can imagine. And when we got to uh, PNG, they, they, they brought us all together in a global meeting and tried to educate us on, on IWS. And it was 275 PowerPoint slides. Can you believe it? I mean, you know. <laughs> I can believe it. Uh, you know, death by PowerPoint, I like to say. So, you know, they had all these global leaders from all around the world, 50 of us crammed in a conference room. They give 275, you know, slides about IWS. And we all went, poo-poo. You know, we've got most of that stuff already. How can that be different? But it was only then when they picked us all up and took us around some of their factories and one poo was one of them in Guangzhou, um, we just couldn't believe the numbers. We, we actually didn't believe it so much. We thought they were hiding people 
from us, you know, and they were under-reporting their OEE and their minor stuff. So they had equipment that was running, you know, six, eight hours between an unplanned stop. They had no breakdowns in a shift. I mean, this is like almost, you know, magic to manufacturing people. How can you run your line without any stops? So IWS became a passion of mine, and I decided to become, a, a you know, the first leader in, in Gillette to take my factory through a full conversion from, from Lean Six Sigma into... Uh, the IWS culture and system. And so, I mean, where where did IWS come from? It really comes from, well, actually, I mean, I found a book. Let me tell you a little story. So uh, when I was uh, part of my role in my last job, I was part of the global lead team for um, Procter & Gamble. And one of my roles was licensing IWS to external companies because many people in P&G have left P&G and gone to run and become COOs of huge Fortune 100 companies around the world. So when they when they take these companies on, they go, well, why isn't it Brum as good as P&G? And then people go, oh, they don't have IWS. So can I buy IWS from P&G? And I was the one who set up that joint venture with EY to do that, uh, to license IWS outside as part of my inside work with P&G. I created a joint venture. So where did it come from? It really came from back in 1947, there was a book. I wish I could show you a picture of it. It's called Work Simplification. And if you looked at that book today from P&G, it had many of the tools that people are still trying to talk about and learn today. It had spaghetti diagrams for optimization of changeovers and had standard work. It had three Ys instead of five Ys. It had five W1H. I mean, plan, do, check, act, cycles. And this is in 1947, so post-war change, uh, really trying to drive uh, engagement of employees empowerment of employees with great systems and standards to follow. So this was back in the, you know, the 40s and 50s. And then it developed on from there and was refreshed periodically, even to a point when in the mid-2000s, we had a great work with Toyota. So P&G is based in Ohio. Toyota had a consulting company in Kentucky. It's across the Ohio River. We ended up working with one another for over 18 months to figure out who had the best operational excellence system. You know, Could we share? Could we reapply? Where could we get? you know, some great information and ideas to reapply within our own business. And, and when we finished that process, we found, one, we needed to resimplify our problem-solving process, which was fantastic. And P, uh, Toyota found that the way we did education and training with our step-up cards was amazing, and they took that piece of know-how away. So we had a mutually agreeable uh, and acceptable uh, exchange of, of intellectual property. But the, the key thing was, when we both looked at our systems, we fulfilled a different need. So obviously Toyota, amazing company, driving automotive, driving sequencing of work, driving tack time. Whereas in P&G, you know, if you think a lot, one line in P&G can change over every hour and they have thousands of SKUs which are made to order in just-in-time manufacturing, it's a different type of system and responsiveness to the market. So even though we both have amazingly great operational excellence systems, we're both fulfilling and, and focus on different tools. So we, we had that... That, that engagement, and then we relaunched the IWS system, and we're now very heavily into uh, driving the digitization of our systems. And this is the, the issue, and this is one of the reasons when I met you just over a year ago. I just met you and Sandy, and I just retired from P&G 18 months before, um, after seven years of global travel. And technology has moved on so much. You, you showed me the, you know, the Zaptic system, the connected worker system, and I was like, wow. If only I would have had this system when I was converting Duracell back in 2006 and seven. Because to be honest, I had lots of whiteboards. We even put, you know, white white marker pens on the 
on in in, in the stock keeping units. <laughs> And then we really started working on digitization really over the last five years, I would say. So when I retired from P&G three years ago, and I met Richard and Sandy um, over a year ago now, and I saw what the connected worker system, the Zaptic system can do, it was just like, wow. I mean, if only I would have had that back 10 years ago. I mean, it would have made my operational excellence system, my conversion from you know a brownfield site from Lean Six Sigma into the true IWS operational excellence system, it might have made it three times faster and 10 times easier because all I had on the floor were white pen, you know, whiteboards, pens, paper, folders. Uh, we, we started putting, a, you know, PCs on every line in a workstation, which was fantastic. But then if you're an operator on night shift trying to fix a problem and you want to get your one point lesson or your, your, your best way of solving this issue, do you go to the computer? Do you go to the, the folder? Where do you find the last bit of work that was done? And so when I saw that, you know, the Zap did the connected worker system, I thought, oh my word, if only we had that 10 years ago. And I'm absolutely convinced, and this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about connected worker, that any company, any company that is starting operational excellence or even in the middle of it right now, because remember, I was a Lean Six Sigma expert and, and company, you will go faster if you have a connected worker solution because you will have information at the fingertips of the people who do the work, the frontline workers. They will have it when they need it, what they need, how they can digest it right on the line and be able to use good information to make good decisions, which gives you great business results. That's the bottom line. We have to get the, this information in the hands of the people. And, and I don't see any reason why, given how... People are so now familiar with their phones and the internet and, you know, booking holidays and making appointments. Using a, an intuitively based, app-based connected worker solution is going to be perfect in manufacturing, the, especially with the Gen Z and the new people coming in. I mean, how on earth can you attract people to manufacturing if, you know, you take a, a 20, 18, 20, 21-year-old student and bring them into your factory and say, there's a piece of paper and a pen, go and do this checklist Go and follow this stuff. They'll just laugh at you. They probably don't even know what a pen looks like anymore. I mean, yeah. So we have to get a connected worker solution in the hands of the people. And sometimes that means bypassing actually the, the, the leaders because it's often my experience of driving operational excellence globally through many different companies around the world is that it's often the leaders that are fearful. It's often the leaders, leaders that get in the way and go slow when the operators are just ready to go. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible really that, the potential of people we have on the floor. Absolutely. And I absolutely love the uh, the people-first approach in IWS. And it seems, you know, from an outsider in, you know, it's almost conversion evolution between the Toyota production system and the IWS system. You know, like it was the 40s that Takiono was yeah. you know, developing that at Toyota, you know, simultaneously yeah. P&G was working on it before then coming together in the year, the year 2000 to sort of share notes, which is absolutely fascinating. But I think in both the systems, people are, are key. What's the right yes. way, do you think, to engage people in IWS um, or lean change at the shop floor? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting process because, you know, I've done all the key things, you know, Cotter's change management, um, uh, Hoshin planning on a page, you know, balanced scorecards, you know, you name it. I've done it over the last 35 years and actually helped some companies develop the um, operational excellence system based on you know knowledge and training and benchmarking. But in reality, 
to, to really engage, it's really quite simple. To, to really get operational excellence going, the top leaders need to change their mindset. They need to get involved, they need to role model, and they need to engage. And in P&G and in many books you, you would read, it's called servant leadership. Whereas, you know, when I used to teach and coach people about leadership behaviors and norms, I would always say, how many people do you have working for you? And, you know, many people in, you know, I'll have a room of 20, 30 people that say, oh, I have 50, I have 1,000, I have 100. And I would go, no, you'd have nobody working for you. You work for your people. And you can almost see, you know, these vice presidents and stuff go, oh, well, yeah, I guess I do really, don't I? I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> your job is to get out of the people's way and give them the right tools, the right information, the right data at the right time so that they can do their job more easily than they do it yesterday. We have to drive improvement. We have to drive continuous improvement. We have to give the people the tools and processes they need. And that's where a connected working solution is absolutely slam dunk ideal for manufacturing and operations. Absolutely needed. Absolutely. And how can a connected worker solution um, you know, support the shop floor with um, their KPIs? You know, directly, if you were to look at the benefits of a connected worker solution or indeed a connected workforce, where should I look? Yeah, you know, maybe I'll give you a couple of anecdotes on, on before and after, as I see it um, today. So, um, <clears throat> first of all, let's think about um, breakdowns on a line, something simple. Um, a lot of people in my, outside of manufacturing don't realize how hard we run our equipment. So our equipment in many factories around the world runs seven hours, seven days, 24 hours a day. Just think about that for a second, okay? How long do you run your car for? You know, an hour a day. Maybe some people it's three or four hours a day. But, you know, we are hammering this equipment seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Therefore, you don't want it to break down. If it breaks down, what happens? You lose product, you lose service, you could end up not fulfilling your customers. So when you're running assets, I'm calling machines assets, that hard, you have to maintain them effectively. You have to stop them breaking down. You have to stop them having minor stops because every time you stop, you cause an issue, not only with the line stability, but you often, this is the main cause of quality issues and safety issues. When there's a breakdown, you have unforecast work. People go in, they take a shortcut, they have a poor behavior, they don't have the clear standards, they cause an accident. Or the instability of the line causing a, a forceful stop on a machine can cause a product transformation issue, and therefore you end up with a quality product on balance. So there we go with 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 how can, how can a connected worker system help? So, the basic, on the basic level, the line stops, the operator, the frontline worker needs to know how to restart it. They also need to look at what were the common problems that have happened before. They also need to maybe talk to an expert from time to time or on a channel, see if they can get some advice. But really, they need to restore the base condition of the equipment as quickly as possible because every minute of downtime, and these lines often run at three, 400 bottles. Think about a bottle for a second, a minute. So if you're down for 10 minutes, you've lost 3,000 bottles which could be a pallet of product, which means that you may miss an order, okay? So people don't realize that the, the keeping your line up and healthy is the most important thing we can do. And a connected worker system, by giving the right standards, some problem-solving trees, one-point lessons, which is how you share knowledge between people. And then if that works, then they can get the line up more effectively and quickly, and then everybody's happy because the, the customer gets the product at the end. So how can a connected worker system work? It gives the information at the point of use to the people who need it without them having to search for you know 
hours to, to, to find it. Second point is that lot, many connected working systems now are integrating with the MES systems or with the historians or with the, the other you know, SAP, Maxima, maintenance management systems. So wouldn't it be great if you had a single pane of glass where, you know, if you had to raise a work order, you just went to one screen. You didn't have to walk off the factory to go to a work, you know, a laptop or, you know, you, you, you didn't have to log on to multiple screens. So I think integration with other systems to enable you to put quality results in, safety observations, raise a work order for maintenance activities, raise defects, raise Kaizen's suggestions, all at your point of use. So you don't have to always walk away and create something in a different system or a different thing. A single pane of glass, I think, for connected worker systems is where we're going. Without a doubt, within the next five years, there's going to be you know, the rise of augmented reality and there's going to be more applicability of having these tools for you. And I'm sure the connected worker systems will really you know, facilitate wearables as well in the future. The, the biggest form you will find product recalls in the market is often linked to mislabel, mispack, and miscode. So this is where you've made this beautiful product and then you put the wrong format date code on because country one wants month, year, country two wants day, year, and country three wants year. Uh, so it, it gets very confusing for the people on the floor. And, and often, if you could walk around a factory, you'll see on the side of the date coder, because the vast majority of them are not auto-linked to your SAP system, because that would be, or your MES system, that would be ideal if you could just download you know, your, your bill of materials and your code directly to your inkjet coding, and then it'll be pokey yokes, so it'll never fail. But unfortunately, that's not reality in manufacturing around the world. So what you have is people have to physically go to that inkjet coder. They have to physically program in the, the, the right day, month, year code, and then they have to check the first product offer has been coded correctly, and they often have to retain a sample to prove to quality that they've done it correctly. And a couple of times in my life, we've actually recalled product from the market because we had a significant failure in date, year, month. So I know that sounds strange, but that's the way it is because when we went to the inkjet coder, we found on the side of the inkjet coder in very faint letters was the four different date codes we had. I mean, on a piece of paper, held on with sellotape on the side of an inkjet coder. I mean, does that sound like something that is quality manufacturing? Okay, no. And this wasn't in PNG, by the way. This was post-PNG and in Modulecto. So the, if you had a connected worker solution, you pick your phone up, you, 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 you can match up with your, uh, which order you're using. It can automatically tell you if you haven't got auto-loading of your inject coding what the right day code is, what the right uh, product is, and then you can take a picture of it. So why... Put this product on huge shelves, which someone comes around, wants a shift or wants a day to look at, which the products are often scrapped as well because they don't want to, you know, your batch is already gone and they can't put it back in. So, you know, you want the information as easy as accessible as possible. So and a connected worker solution does that. Not only can you save product and waste, you can never have a problem and be able to match the labels and the text with the right day code by interfacing with your, your systems through a connected worker solution. So that's one Absolutely. example, you know. And, and people um, think about wastage as being, you know, material issues or, um, you know, something wrong with your upstream man manufacturers. But, you know, we're throwing product away sometimes because it's got the wrong date attached to it. If you think from a kind of environmental yeah. point of view, yeah. um, it's crazy to think about that. And, and in quality, I mean, often you're, you're, you have to sample a product every 30 minutes. And many companies I've come across, they say, please take five samples and put it on the shelf. Yeah. 
So you take five samples, and you know some of these may retail at five, six dollars a bottle or more. Just think about that. So fifty dollars every half an hour, you put on a shelf, and then the quality people come around, the inspector, and go, "Ah, it's okay. What are they going to do with the product?" Well, often what they do, they empty the contents out into reblend, and then the package material is thrown away. How is that going to help carbon neutral and, uh, and our environmental compliance go forward? These things have to be turned into digital solutions and connected worker solutions. It's just so powerful. I don't think manufacturing people today of my age and my generation truly understand the power of a connected worker solution and how it can truly impact many key performance indicators, not just morale of the people because they have the right information at the right time, not just safety because you can record safety incidents and have them tackled, and not just quality where you can, you can actually reduce scrap, improve yield uh, and drive the, the, you know, the, the true customer service of, of your business. So. And I remember you, earlier on you were talking about IWS and the amount of paperwork that's required to go with it. And it reminds me, as a customer, uh, we went to go see, and at one of their plants, it took them 20,000 pieces of paper every week just to run their lean system. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah I was fortunate for the last seven years of my career to transfer IWS to some huge um, companies. Um, and the one complaint I would always get from them is there's too much paper associated with this, this system. We love the system. It gives us incredible results. It engages our people. It truly empowers them to do the right work. But we've just got too much paper. We had, you know, shift handover books, which were, you know, hundreds of pieces of paper every day. We had check sheets to do uh, health checks on our daily management systems. We just went on and on and on. And PNG have recognized this and have been working hard internally with their own resources to develop systems and apps to to put these together. But the problem I find is that because companies try and do this themselves, they're, they're not using the best of breed. They're, they're, they're developing something they think is good, and they're really not aware of how good is good. And, you know, a real example of this is was in a, I won't mention a company, but I was licensing IWS to a, a global tire making company. And they said to me, oh, safety results are great. I said, well, what are they? And they said, oh, you know, this factory is the best in the world. It's 1.5 TIR, that's total instant rate. And I said, well, that's not very good. He said, well, we benchmark with the other tire making companies. It's great. He said, well, have you benched with consumer products? Do you know what P&Gs is? And he went, no, what is it then? That can't be much better. I said, it's 0.2. And many of our factories have run at zero TIR for you know, years. Um, so what you have to do with, 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 with companies who decide to do this themselves is they need to do the due diligence and look at the best-in-class connected worker solutions, and they need to make a choice whether they can spend the make or buy. Uh, and often, to get the best in class, you have to buy. And because most connected working solutions, I'm not, you know, Zaptic is, you know, my passion right now. Uh, the cost of doing it versus an MES system is a different order of magnitude lower. So you, what we have the ability to do through our global manufacturing is to introduce a world-class system of connected worker at a price they can afford. I think it's going to be amazing. And we just need to get more of these this information out in the hands of those people who make decisions and get pilots going and, and get manufacturing converting to a digital state. 
I fully believe it's going to work. One recurring theme we've had this season is, is of course, for labor instability, the difficulty to find, recruit, onboard people. And I was wondering, you know, how is that, how is IWS going to help that? And how, do you think that IWS is going to evolve in response to that over the next decade? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges of any manufacturing company at the moment, whether it be the COVID challenge we've had over the last few years, is, is really the aging population in many of the Western world. So, you know, some of the statistics are frightening about how population will reduce over time. Uh, and what we have to do is find a way of attracting, retaining, and, and faster onboarding people. So in IWS and in TPM and in world-class manufacturing, there's often a pillar called education and training. So the processes are known what to do. You know, you have to do your training needs analysis. You have to set a strategy against your business needs. You need to uh, get, hire the right people, and then you have to train and onboard them. The problem with all this stuff is it often takes months, if not years, to get it right. So here we are, we own a business, you've got people retiring, you've got people with COVID and, and off at short-term notice, and often you don't have enough people in the right place to do the right work, and therefore lines are sitting idle because you don't have trained, competent, capable people who really can be trained and competent if they had a very fast way of doing it. So RWS has looked at this, and so have many of the others. They, people have been trying mightily to capture knowledge from the people who are leaving. They've been mightily trying to develop some simple, simpler uh, SharePoints or Power Apps or something to try and get people the, the information they need. But with a connected worker, into, you know, it's a holistic system. Not only can you capture the knowledge of people retiring on the line at the point of use and scan a barcode and pre-populate it and, 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 and just record a video, or it's just an amazing technology. But you can also do that with the training files, the skill blocks that you can do self-paced training, you can qualify them, you can truly put it in the hands of the people again. And, and I think that the, the two big things are, one, capturing the knowledge of those people who are leaving, and IWS tries to do that, we, but it's still very difficult. There's not an easy process to do it. Then there's capturing current knowledge and making it your new standards. Difficult because if you generate 500 one-point lessons in a site of 1,000 people every, every week, how do you manage the whole process? Does it work? Does it get blocked? Can it be speeded up? Connected worker solutions can do that. And then fast onboarding of people when they come in. If they have small video clips, if they have real knowledge explained to them in a self-paced, managed way, their onboarding will, will I'm sure, reduce by half. Um, with a connected worker solution. So is IWS looking at this? Yes. Is it a problem? Yes. Uh, have we got a solution in IWS for it? No. Are we working towards it? Yes, I would say. And, uh, you know, obviously I left PNG over two years ago now, so things have moved on. So maybe they have a solution right now, but I didn't see it when I left. It wasn't available. We talk a lot about automation and manufacturing, the idea that people are leaving the workforce. I'd love to get your view on you know how true that is and whether you think people are still going to be relevant in a manufacturing environment 100 years from now. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question because there's been a huge drive in productivity throughout many companies. P&G itself was, I mean, you can look at the um, annual reports. I've, I've mentioned numbers of 7.5% productivity improvement every year for the last five years, which is absolutely incredible. Does that mean people go or it's all been done by automation? No, it doesn't. It means that the work process and the work they do has been more efficient. So if, if, if I look at 
give you another anecdote. So I looked at pharmaceuticals and food factories in my uh, role as licensing IWS with Ernst Young, EY. And we found that pharmaceutical businesses often run about 25% OEE, overall equipment effectiveness. So you put your product in, you run your lines and you get your product out. And if you think 100 is the ideal, uh, P&G runs an average of 85% OEE. Uh, pharmaceuticals are running at 25%. So here we go. You're running, in theory, four more factories than you have to versus P&G. Well, three, actually, if you do the maths. So productivity is not just about people. It's about making your processes run more effectively. That's the first thing. And if you have a connected worker solution and you can drive your OEE from 25 to 50% or, you know, let's hope, 75% and above, you, you're going to need less assets to run. And then, therefore, what do you do with the people? Uh, first of all, and this is an important point, if you have your assets running at base condition and running at 75% OEE, when you want to automate them, it's much easier to do so because you have a stable base condition in place. But now you've got some people. So if you're running your lines now and they're running, creating three times more product with the same number of people, you've got productivity increase. It's incredible. So what do you do with the people? There's a couple of things you can do with them. The first thing you do is you try and find new products and new volume to allocate them. So you bring a new line in or a new product and you transfer people on block and you say, right, we're not going to let any of our great people who've spent 10 years training go. We're going to actually move them into our new product to drive new volume and new business for the same number of people. True productivity. Automation is going to come in. Um, and without a doubt, it will mean that some people will not be required because not every business can grow. So what most businesses do when that happens is that, you know, obviously they let people retire early, but why would you let somebody with 30, 40 years of experience retire without capturing every ounce of knowledge they have? And how, what systems do we have today in most manufacturing facilities to do that? We don't. We have somebody writing something down. They create a little logbook. They might write a spreadsheet. So wouldn't it be great if we could capture video clips of that person talking passionately about the work they do, take you to the line, video you what you do, so that can then be used and passed on to the generations to come. So automation will definitely, and robotics will come in, uh, but, uh, but the role of the operator, the frontline worker, will just change. It will be, go from being a material feeder or machine feeder, which is, Let's face it, if you're running a 25-30% OEE, you're doing a lot of feeding of materials and a lot of unblocking of stops. So once you get to a level of 75 and 80, you give the people more time to think so they can do more on improvement. You can get them engaged in new product introductions. You can get them with capital upgrades. You can get them to really look at the automation to make sure it's designed for manufacturing. Because automation is perfect, but it still needs to be maintained. It still needs to be inspected. It still needs to be cleaned and still needs to be lubricated. So there are always going to be a need for people. Uh, and even in some of the advanced P&G factories, we have what's called a lights out program. Now, this sounds crazy. So we have some lines around the world which are piloting for the last year or so where there's no lights in the factory. They turn them off. You know? And it's only one or two lines in a couple of factories around the world. But this line is run totally automated and there's no people there full time. But what the, there is, is an inspection route 
and a call to action every every two hours, I think it is, where an operator, a technician, is now running two or three of these lines and comes and inspects the line effectively at their critical control points to make sure it's running on center line, there's no defects being created. And if the machine stops, it automatically alerts the operator, the frontline worker, to come and t- you know help me, basically. So the machine is telling you what the problem is, not you assessing what the machine is. So automation will come. It won't require less people. But to be frank, if I look at globally, I must have visited 200 factories in the last five years. I would say probably only two of them would be totally automated 10 years from now. So there's a long runway ahead of us. It's a long runway. There's still a huge amount of manual handling activities, a huge amount of some processes which just can't be roboticized and, and automated um, today with the current technology we have. So I still think people are going to be a core part of manufacturing for the next 50 years. After that, who can forecast where it will go? And so there's a lot of runway ahead of us and a lot of people we need to support and help train, make more capable, give the information they need at the right point at the right time. Absolutely. And I like that. Your workers are always going to be relevant, but their role is going to change and it's going to evolve over time. Yes, absolutely. Well, Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a really interesting conversation and you've been listening to ZapChat. Thanks for listening and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.